Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, author of Fantasy Romance and Romantic Fantasy. I'm here with my first cup of coffee, <laughs> which I just dearly need this morning. For no good reason. I actually got a lot of sleep last night, but I'm feeling the sleepies, feeling the sleepies today. Oh, I was going to wear the necklace with the, the earrings today, but I put it in the cleaner at the last moment. I'm going to pause. You know, I became so accustomed to doing this show live that I forget that I can pause. So now I'm back with the necklace that matches today's earrings. Uh, today is Friday. Yay. Uh, March 19th. Mm. I'm just going to sit here and drink talk, coffee and not talk. Oh, so good. All right. So today's earrings um, go with the necklace, obviously. And they are these little blue squares. These are very unusual, I think. Um, and I got these in St. Martin. Uh, my mother bought the necklace and earrings for me as a 50th birthday present. And so the earrings are, the, it's, it's still costume jewelry, but kind of um, artsy, interesting costume jewelry. So the uh, earrings are squares that are set on their points. So it's kind of a diamond shape. And then there's two rectangles that end up being uh, sort of diagonal stripes. One a solid blue and one um, sort of blue crystals. And then there's a blue crystal at the top. And the earrings are much less dramatic than the necklace. We were on the French side of St. Martin. And it was this little jewelry shop near a place where we had lunch. And it had just the most interesting necklaces. And, and I loved this one. And for those of you not on video, it's difficult to describe. It's um, asymmetrical and sort of strung on a very simple wire. And then there's sort of a collection of, some of it reminds me of sea glass. So I think we liked that about it for being from St. Martin and some uh, flat, irregularly shaped gold pieces and different shades of blue in the different stones. And so it was funny because the necklace, I think I even spotted in the window and then we look for earrings to match the necklace. And I probably tried on every pair of earrings in the store. And the problem was, is with a great big piece like this, uh, if you get earrings that are too big also, then it just overwhelms you. Um, Megan Mulry, my friend who I have, has been my savior through the pandemic, the, where we've been having campfire drinks together and so forth. Um, and is all things classy and artistic. Uh, Megan told me that Coco Chanel's advice is that after you get dressed, right before you leave the house, take one thing off. Not clothing people. I mean, but, you know, like accessories, that you take one thing off. And 
And I said, do you do that? And she said, I absolutely do that. And she always looks amazing. So it is definitely a thing of less is more. And obviously this um, necklace is pretty over the top for uh, my black tank top and Frida Kahlo jacket that I'm planning to wear today as I write. But, um, you know, we do what we can. But this necklace does look stunning with something like a, a black sheath dress or so forth. See, you didn't know you were going to get fashion advice along with Jeffy's first cup of coffee. So many things, so many things that are part of the brand here. Uh, okay, so uh, what about writing? Should we talk about writing? Does anybody care? So I actually had a good writing day yesterday on Sorceress Queen and the Pirate Rogue. And I did something I almost never do, which is I exceeded 3,000 words. I did not stop at 3,000 words and instead plowed on and got 3,500 something and made up for the words that I did not get on Wednesday. And, and I'm feeling it. I'm feeling a little bit today, but it was flowing really well yesterday. And, and I could, it was not difficult to get those words. And I still did it in my three hours. I just had three really good hours. In fact, I had my highest, the second hour that I was working, I had my highest word count, um, since I've been working on this book, I got like 1400 words in one hour. So that's a record for this book. It's probably, I graph um, by book, you know, keep track of how much I get per hour. And I don't keep track for all time. I used to keep track for all time, but it got to be too many data points. So it's definitely one of my, my highest counts per hour. So, so that was good. It made me happy to, um, if today goes well, knock on wood. Um, I should have gotten 15,000 words on the book this week on track to finish next week. And I wanted to talk a little bit about structure while it's on my mind, drive my mother crazy by not telling the story, but I want to save the, how we ended up in Santa Fe story for a day when I feel like I don't have much else to say, which we know happens. So you'll just have to wait mom. Um, <laughs> she knows the story already. <laughs> um, so it's an interesting thing for me about structure. And I know that I am a different writer this way. And I see people comment about it from time to time. Um, and I think generally in a positive way, but this, the pattern of my books, the plots are never exactly the same. So even though I follow, ah, now I have something in my eye. I should pause, right? Hmm. Not sure what taking out the contact helped. Now, if I put the contact back in, will it still bother me? There was something. All right, let's try it. Sorry if that squicks you out. Okay, that's better. Well, something's still in there, but we'll see how it goes. Um, things that were not about something being in my eye. Structure. So, you know, like 
partly because I think because I'm such a character driven writer, what happens in the book where the major beats are very much has to do with that particular couple. So while in um, the first book, The Golden Griffin and the Bear Prince, uh, Zeph and Aster come together and come together. <laughs> the, the romance is consummated early in the book. It's, well, midpoint. I think it's a, around midpoint. And in Sorcerer's Queen and the Pirate Rogue, it's happening late in the book. It's happening right now. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that. For those of you who have been reading the books, you know that, um, you know, like Stella is just a, a much more reticent person and it's taken a while to get there. And also the, the pattern of the action scenes is different in this book. So, you know, like in, um, Golden Griffin, the action kind of slowly builds, things happen, but the, the last quarter of the book is largely about the fantasy plot part, the, the action. Whereas in Sorceress Queen, a whole lot of that has happened much earlier in the book and takes up a lot of the midsection of the book. So some of this is because of, of the romance, but some of it's also because something that I talked about before with this four book series that has an overarching plot that right now where I am, am in the series, and I know I talked about this before, but I won't remember when, so I won't link back to it. But if you look at the, the four part structure, right? Three acts, but it's act one, first 25%, first half of act two takes us up to 50%. Second half of Act 2 takes us up to 75%. And then the last 25% is Act 3 and Denouement. So what that means is with this being the second book in the arc, this book is essentially finishing at midpoint of the overall arc. So that means a lot of things have happened in this book. And now there's going to be a pivot that's going to happen right at the end of this book. And, and I'm trying to explain, and, and it's been interesting teaching this class. And I know some of you are also listening to the podcast here. Um, one, I've been teaching people how to analyze sex scenes and how, and about character transformation. It's sex as a tool for character transformation. So I've been teaching people how to apply this three act structure to a sex scene and how to break it down and look at it. And somebody asked in the class if they should do this with all their scenes. And I said, you could, it, it's a tool. It's if you feel like a scene isn't working, this is a way to get at it because you can see, do you have the, the waxing and waning of action essentially within the scene. But all of this said, I almost never apply this to my own stuff. Um, occasionally, if I feel like 
if I'm wondering if there's a problem, I'll, I'll look at the percentages and you guys know that I sort of watch the percentages overall as I go. But as with all techniques, the most important thing is to internalize it, right? You learn the technique, you learn the skill, the craft, and then you internalize it to the point where you've done it enough that you do it organically. And I remember that this was part of the thing with martial arts um, that, you know, I practiced um, Kung Fu for many, many years. You guys know that? <laughs> um, you know, and so Tai Chi, Bagua, Shaolin. And part of the reason that you do the martial forms, it's kind of like wax on, wax off, right? That you do the martial form over and over and over again, learning the technique until it's so ingrained in your body that it becomes organic. It becomes reflex. So, um, you know, wax on, uh, becomes the blocking move and so forth. That's what movie karate kid was talking about. So yes, at first you learn these structures and you apply them, but then you internalize them and it comes out. So, so I just think it's interesting um, to see a story play out like this uh, where, where the pattern of action and the pattern of the romance is so very different than it was for Golden Griffin. And, and I read other people's books. I'm reading a book for another author friend right now. Um, and some of them do the same pattern over and over and over again. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, this person's very successful, more, more successful than I am. So there's something to be said for it. But I think that is where the sense of predictability can come in sometimes. Because we, we know, especially if we've read an author a lot, we know kind of what's going to happen when in the story, right? Because they're just always going to have, you know, like, oh, big fight scene at this point. And some people are really shine at that. And I'm not saying that the way I do it's any better. It could arguably be worse um, because my books aren't as predictable. And sometimes readers want predictable. But so I was thinking about that yesterday. I will get something, get to something on one of my other stickies. Not the story of how we came to Santa Fe. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about openings because I seem to have been having a number of conversations with people about openings. And and I'll caveat this first by saying that, of course, figuring out where to start the story and how to open it is one of the things that just never gets easier as an author. I suppose there are some people who are really good at it, um, but most people I know struggle with it and, and take multiple stabs even after many, many books. And so I've been trying to learn myself how to do better openings and also teach it to, to people or advise them on it. And so we talk about that an opening needs to do a few things. It needs to establish genre. It needs to 
establish sympathy for the protagonist or at least interest in the protagonist. We talk about the hook. We need to hook that interest. And usually that means having whoever's voice is on that first page draw the reader in. And and when we talk about a character being sympathetic, it doesn't have to be that you like them necessarily, but that you are interested in their life and in their story. And then there has to be a sense of where the story's going. So some of that's establishing genre. I want an idea of where is this story going to go from here? So that's a lot. I mean, it's a lot for an opening to do. And so one thing about an opening is that every word has to count uh, because it's it's precious real estate. I mean, it's just the most precious real estate in the whole book. And what I see a lot of authors doing is, especially newbie authors, but I think others do it too, especially people like me who are trying to get better at openings, is that sense that every word counts means that people make it really compressed. People have a tendency to really compress it, right? Because it's like, oh my God, I have 17 things I have to establish in the first two paragraphs. And so I have to get them all in there. So, and that's not the case because what I'm seeing people do as they try to uh, get better at their openings is that the openings are just going way, way, way too fast. And, and it's like, boom, 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 boom. And there's my 17 things and I don't have the rhythm of the story yet. So I know that that's difficult. I never said it would be easy. I never promised you a rose garden. Um, so it's a, it's a balance. It's a, it's a serious balance. We, and just keep in mind that having a tight opening doesn't mean leaving things out. Does that make sense? So yes, you want it tight. You want every word to count, but that doesn't mean you leave words out that you think don't count. Instead, you need to find ways to talk about the things that you want to talk about and make them all count. That makes sense. It's hard to explain. Um, I think in some ways it might help for people to, um, you know, overwrite your beginning, write a whole lot in the beginning and then edit it down and tighten it. Uh, but, but don't rush, don't rush through your opening. The opening shouldn't be blazing fast. It just needs to be, um, keep coming back to the word tight. You guys understand what I'm getting at. Anyway, I'll think about it, see if I can explain it more, but um, keep that in mind that that's the most important part that a tightly written opening where every word it counts because it's occupying precious real estate does not mean that the real estate needs to be tiny. There, there, that helps. Um, you don't have to make it be Rhode Island. I, it, your opening can still be Texas, but you just need to make sure that every every part counts that you put in there. Um, because I suppose, I'm, and now I'm going to counter what I just said, because you really do only have um, like that first page or two. But mostly it's 
whatever details you're including in that opening, just make sure that they're, that they're all relevant. Um, one person that I have been helping, I've been going back over their opening a few times and they keep revising it. And I've been saying, well, why is this person mentioned? Is this person, is it really, really important for us to know about this person right now? And they're like, well, no, <laughs> it's like, okay, so eliminate them. We can find out about this person later. Really think about what we need to know on that first page. What is, what is most critical for us to know about this story? And the critical things we need to know are what is the genre? Where is this, what is this story going to be about? Where is it going? And who should I be interested in? Who should I care about? And there we have it. All right. I'm going to go get busy writing. I hope you all have a wonderful Friday. I hope you have a fantastic weekend and I will talk to you all on Monday. You take care. Bye-bye.